I invite you to turn with me in the Bible and to take this out because I think that will help you to the book of Exodus. It's the second book in from the beginning of the story. This is Exodus chapter 14, beginning at verse 5. This story is epic. This story is pure gospel. This is the gospel of the Old Testament. So turn with me, and I will pray, and we will listen to this story together. God, open up our ears to hear you speak. Open up our ears to hear you speak through this story, through your story, the story of salvation, through this word and my words, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Listen to God's word to you as it comes to us from this story that we love in the book of Exodus 14, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the minds of Pharaoh and his officials were changed toward the people, and they said, what have we done letting Israel leave our service? So he had his chariots made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 picked chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out boldly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his chariot drivers and his army. They overtook them, camped by the sea, by Pihahirath, in front of Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. But you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And so I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots and his chariot drivers. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his chariot drivers. The angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The 
Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. Keeping your Bible open, right in the middle of that story, is verse 13. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Right in the middle of that verse, deliverance. See the deliverance. The previous chapter, you see in chapter 13, is the liturgy of the Passover. Then in the next chapter, it's the song of Miriam. This is a liturgical worship section celebrating this epic story. I titled my sermon Deliverance. I'm kind of sorry I did. One person it reminded of the movie, 1972, and the song, the icky song, <laughs> A good song, icky movie. If I were going to pick a song and a movie, it would be from the 1939 classic, The Wizard of Oz, Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead. But actually, the best way to capture what you just heard is right here. In this liturgical act that we celebrate together, so simple, in the waters of baptism, because the water symbolized death and chaos for the people of God. And when we baptize, we pray over these waters, and this is the prayer that we pray. We thank you, Almighty God, for the gift of water. Over water, the Holy Spirit moved in the beginning of creation and brought order out of chaos. With water, you destroyed evil in the days of Noah. Through water, you led the children of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt into the land of promise. In water, your son, Jesus, received the baptism of John, was anointed by the Holy Spirit as the Christ 
that he might lead us through his death and resurrection from the bondage of sin into everlasting life. We thank you, loving God, for the water of baptism. In it, we are buried with Christ in his death. By it, we share in the resurrection. Through it, we are reborn by the Holy Spirit. This is the story. Through the water, God saves. This is where we draw our understanding of how great God is. This is where we draw our understanding of who we are as God's people. Even in the ancient world, the Canaanite god, Baal, the god of fertility, defeated the god of the sea and the river. In the um, Babylonian world, their god, Marduk, defeated the sea monster. It is so epic in terms of what's being symbolized here. This is the God of creation who has power over the sea, makes a way through the sea. God controls the chaos. And so this story is central to the whole story of Scripture, to the whole history of salvation. And in it, we draw this confidence and assurance that God is making a way for us, that God is fighting for us. Notice, too, that this story involves creation, and it really is a battle between the God of creation and all the powers and all the forces that would uncreate, that would defy God's blessing upon the world and upon God's people. I want you to notice how even in the plagues, what are the weapons that God uses to convince Pharaoh to let the people go? They are all forces of nature. They're not weapons like we think of weapons. You've got the water turning to blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock diseased, boils, thunder and hail, locusts, darkness, death. And then in this last act, you've got the waters. All of these symbolizing gods that they worshipped in Egypt as well. And all of Pharaoh's weapons, as incredible as they are and as epic as they are, cannot stand up to the God of creation, the one who is more powerful than anything that we or any God can throw at God. So do not be afraid, Moses says. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. And what was their response? Why did you bring us here? We belong to Egypt. We belong to that captivity. Isn't that interesting? And how often when we're stuck between the devil and the deep blue sea, would we prefer the familiar captivity to this unknown road of liberation? How often do we go back? People, even people that have been in prison, longing for the day of their release, find it easier to go back to prison. It's more familiar in some ways. In a lot of ways, they don't have a lot of help for their road of liberation. But how easy it is for the Israelites. They know the way of Pharaoh. They know the way of oppression and abuse. They know that way of life. They don't yet know the ways of God but they're about to learn. They're about to learn as they're in the wilderness 
two really important lessons. Number one, you do not belong to Pharaoh and captivity and the Egyptians. You belong to me. The very beginning of the Ten Commandments, the very first one begins with this prelude. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Very important lesson. You don't belong to captivity. You belong to liberation. You belong to the God of creation. Second lesson that they were about to learn is how to walk by faith and not by sight. Boy, is that hard. When they've got Pharaoh's armies pressing in upon them and they see the nearness of this threat and God seems so far away and deliverance seems so far away. So at such moments, as one person wrote, the enemy seems so near, God seems so far away. How is God bringing these lessons to us in our wilderness wandering? Before we go there, there's one thing we have to address, absolutely have to address, as we're moving through Exodus and indeed through the whole Old Testament. Did it make you squirm when you heard about the Egyptians being tossed into the sea and all the bodies dead on the seashore? I hope it did. Let me read to you again. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea turned, returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots, the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. I hope you squirm, as if God doesn't love those Egyptians too. So what's going on here? It'd be easy for us to say, okay, God hardened their hearts. They didn't really have a choice. But this is an epic battle between creation and uncreation. God isn't causing them to do anything that they aren't already pursuing. And they are eventually the victims of their own chaos, uncreation. But depicting God as a warrior, this is one of the few places you see that, depicting God as hating the Egyptians creates a problem for who we know God to be revealed most fully in Jesus Christ. And even as you move through the Psalms, you're going to hear the psalmist praying against our enemies, praying with hate that God will destroy them, that God will cause them to suffer, that God will curse them. There is something about that response of the abuser toward the abuser, that response toward the bullier, that response toward the tyrant. You want it destroyed. You want them destroyed. And so does God. And that hate prompts us to prayer, but it's not the way of God, is it? Jesus said, you've heard it said that you shall love your enemies, I mean, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, you shall love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. God's way is not the way of hate. It is the way of liberation. 
It is the way of destroying everything that works against creation, but it's not the way of hate. It is the way of love. And we always have to hold these texts side by side with Jesus. Really, really important. Back to our challenge. How do we draw? How do we draw from this story for ourselves? The God who makes a way through. How do we draw so that we believe that we do not belong to the powers of captivity, the powers of uncreation, as threatening and as real and as in our face as they are, but that we belong to God? How do we train ourselves to walk by faith and not by sight when everything we see convinces us that God is far away and God does not care? Do not be afraid, Moses said, stand firm. See the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. But we are afraid, and we have reasons to be afraid. And there are various things that entrap us, and we don't see a way out. And it doesn't have to be the big dramatic things. It can be the day-to-day things. We can feel trapped by debt. Your credit card is maxed out. The housing costs are rising. The school costs are enormous. The cost of health care goes up and up, not only for you, but for your pets. And for a while, you can say, okay, I have my savings, but then that's gone. And then... All of a sudden, you're out of work for a season. And you start pulling from retirement funds. And then there's nowhere to turn. There is no way through. So how do you believe that you don't belong to the debt and you don't belong to everything that convinces you that there is no way through, that you belong to God? How do you walk by faith and not by sight? Or you may be caregiving and exhausted in your caregiving. For a parent, for a spouse, I was talking to a friend whose mother's 93, and she had a stroke 13 years ago. And at that time, everything changed, and she no longer was the woman that she used to be. She's still very strong of body, but not able to really converse or be clear or even be cooperative with her care. And it is draining everyone who's taking care of her. Her caregivers are great, but now they're in their 70s. They've been caring for her for 13 years, and they're exhausted. And she has a strength and a grip that can take you down like a strong man. And her daughter was saying, I am so exhausted. Running out of options, running out of resources, running out of energy, she went off for a much-needed vacation, just exhausted. She's not even the mother I used to know. How do you believe that we don't belong to what's undoing life for the forces of death, what is draining us of everything, but that we belong to God? How do we walk by faith and not by sight? Parents who are struggling, struggling with a particular special son who's not doing well, it's becoming clear, not doing well in school, less and less interested, less and less cooperative with anything that's going on in the school, and you try everything, 
the teachers, you meet with the teachers, you try specialists in the school, you have the, the son tested, and nothing really is coming forward as a way that's getting his attention or engaging him. You try your own resources, you try special camps, you try therapists. He's getting more and more belligerent, sometimes dangerous to himself, sometimes dangerous to you. There is no way through. There is no way through. How do you believe that your family, your son, you belong to God and not to these forces, whatever those forces are, that are causing everything to erode in your family, inside him, in the school, for him? To walk by faith and not by sight. That's our challenge, isn't it? And so we cry out to God just like the Israelites did. And just as with the Israelites, God makes a way through. Not always the way we want or when we want. Many of you know that this church went through a capital campaign 2005 and beyond. We raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for the improvement of this campus. And every time I walk into the bathrooms, I give thanks to God for how accessible and how nice they are and the elevator and all these things. But it's a capital campaign that ended up costing over $3 million. You raised an enormous amount of money, but after two campaigns, we still were going to be over $400,000 short, which would mean debt servicing, which would mean less staff members. And I saw it all coming, and I panicked. And you know the pitiful story. I started buying lottery tickets. I thought, it's up to me. I've got to find a way. We've done everything to raise the money. I don't like the lottery. I don't believe in the lottery. And here I was buying lottery tickets. And you know what happened, how this story ended, that the Hofers bequested over a million dollars to this church at the exact time that we were ending our payments for the capital campaign. We did not go into debt. God did make a way through. Not through me. <laughs> not through the lottery. The exhausted daughter who went away to Hawaii found out that her mom was going to have surgery and she was going to have to go back and not be on vacation. She was devastated. But then it turns out that her brother was coming into town for a medical conference and it turned out he had one day free and it turned out it was the one day of her surgery. It was a gift. Parents that have had children, you've seen it with me in this church. You don't know what's going to happen to this lost son who's unraveling before your eyes. Ten years later, here he is, a graduate from college, making his way in the world. But not everything turns out with an immediate way through, does it? How do we have faith then when it's a long wilderness and we don't see how we belong to God instead of that threat, and how to walk by faith instead of by sight, and the threat that is so near, that's more real, and God seems far away. It has been so amazing to me to hear the story of Harriet Brinson, who died a few weeks ago, 99 years old. I did not know this about her. When she's 99, I've been here almost 18 years. That's not much of her life. But when I sat with her daughter, I found out several things about her journey and how, in amazing ways, she knew that she belonged to God in her baptism. She knew the ways of faith and walking by faith instead of by sight through very tough chapters. Age nine, her father died of Lou Gehrig's disease. That is a horrible way to watch your father die. And it was four years before the Great Depression. So her mom, raising as a single parent, a family with no resources, no jobs available, 
And yet she knew, and their family knew, because they were worshiping, as the Lord has liberated us to do, remembering that they belong to the God of creation who provides. Then when she got married, two weeks after she got married, her husband was killed in a car accident. Two weeks. But she knew to whom she belonged, not death, but the God of life, and could walk by faith through that season. Then she married again, and the two of them could not have children. Another wilderness, another heartache. But she knew to whom she belonged and walked by faith and not by sight as they adopted their beloved daughter. And then her sister died of cancer in her 30s. How hard is that? But she knew to whom she belonged and who her sister belonged to and walked by faith, not by sight. And in her dying on March 16th, we will celebrate her baptism and the completion of her baptism and the new creation where God makes dry land in the Genesis story out of the separation of the waters. This is our creator. We don't belong to death. We belong to life. We belong to new life. We belong to a way through death to more life than you can possibly see. We draw from this font this central truth about God, a way through the waters of death. We draw from it every day of our lives for ourselves and for this world that the God of creation is Lord over all the powers that would undo creation and undo the blessing of God. As powerful and as intimidating and as frightening as they are, do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. The Lord will fight for you, has fought for you in Jesus Christ, has won, has gone through the waters of death and been raised to new life. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to keep still so that we can sing with the psalmist, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I look to the hills, all the big sources of strength around me. Where will my help come from? And where is the answer? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen.